Okay. We're going to uh, start off, due to the sensitivity and the uh, excitement about this particular subtopic, I'm going to do Chazar on the introduction, which I never did. We didn't even start the Tshuva yet. <laughs> just, that's a, this is a first. So um, just uh, we should get our, our balance. Uh, number one, you already know this Tshuva is going to be, I, I selected one Tshuva from the Haimashur perspective, which is Apelacha. They see them champion many issues of Chukasem Lasalecha. Lashin was Malbushim and Lashinim. Obviously, in Shemaisim are a big part of the story. Uh, we began last week with Amaisha Tshuva. Amaisha clearly says two things. One is it's not Osir, because it's Kaitam and and the second thing is the Dabra Maguna. It's interesting to have one Tshuva say both. Amaisha, historically, uh, and Rabbi Yankiv, I. I uh, Baruch Hashem, uh, saw and met uh, these G'daylim. Uh, they were bright enough to learn any language in about seven minutes. That's an understatement. They never, they never used it. Ramesha and Rabbi Yankov were in this country for decades and decades and decades. They never spoke it. Who the uh, yeah, but he said that because he, he didn't want to get Russian into it. it didn't, the Tuma didn't go with the Tyra. Not the Tuma. There, there are some Russians not more Tummy than anything else. I, I, it makes sense. It probably fit. Probably the story is probably told by many people. But um, the, the issue over here is that whenever you do any sugya, the beauty of learning is it's supposed to erase everything you know to go into a sugya because many people try, as they do in many areas of life, to put and push preconceived notions into a sugya. They start off with anacha, and then they, everything's shreya, and they try to give answers. The historical fact and all the hashkafa and halacha behind it clearly indicates, even if you're making like a mesha, it's not, that's not actually usher, clearly indicate that Klai intuitively understood from the time of Mitzrayim and the last 1,000, 1,500 years in Europe that they should be enacting a minig and creating a language that is clearly not that similar to the host country. So they took, and they will be macaque the language, they will make a hybrid, they will adulterate the language. If the English is too high for me over here, please let me know. Uh, they will do whatever they can, but it won't be high German or Spanish or Italian. Doesn't mean they couldn't speak it, doesn't mean there weren't individuals or many people that did speak it. But clearly, Klyestral took a route to create languages in a very big way. And... Yiddish is, as I just told you, the old lady who asked me, excuse me, young man, do you speak Jewish? Uh, I had to think for a second, what's Jewish? And I remember, it's Yiddish. Yiddish began the word because that became a Jewish language, even though Moshe himself said it was a lot of German and Russian and Polish and then some Delashnikadish and Aramaic thrown in. That minute was developed for a reason. And the reason is because everybody's Maldiv or Moshe, if it's not Usr, it's certainly a Hidr, not to speak the language more than you have to. That's clear. We can't... What? We're going to get to that. A very good question. Sam Seb is going to deal with it. That would be an obvious way out instead of make up a new language and be a another language speak Lashon HaKadosh. Okay. Besides the practicality, the Yiddish also served the fact that your average fellow on the street or at the port uh, would understand what you're saying more or less. It was a hybrid enough that you could still communicate. But it's a good question. We will, we will get to that. But the historical fact, people have... Not, I'm not saying anybody here in the Shir, but... Uh, Got many uh, many emails and questions about just last night. 
the knee-jerk reaction is that, um, well, you know, what's wrong with speaking the host language? So, halachali, Ramesh doesn't hold usser. There are those who hold it is, and we're going to read about them. Rishayinam and Afrenim. Ramesh is Mekel. The Chesed Shafeskim are more naita, like they are in any Sugi Chukosayim, to say that there's a, a much bigger issue with the Sfasa Medina. But no one's arguing the point that for thousands of years they created these languages wherever they were, and the Sfaradim did the same exact thing without any communication. There was no concerted effort between the Sfaradim and the Ashkenazim to create two different languages. It was just an intuitive reaction of Klai Yisrael for the protection as a hedge against assimilation. But that wasn't the case in Arabic countries. Arabic countries, they picked up Arabic and they spoke it. And they, they, they right. wrote poetry. Right, right. And the, and and the Ramam wrote many Halakas Farm in Arabic. The question is why, and the answer is sensitive unto itself. The integration of the community in Spain when it was under Arab control was to a fault, and this is not me talking. We're no, I'm no one to criticize and we wouldn't have done better, but there were a lot of chuvas written during the Inquisition afterwards and they asked a very difficult basic question. Why is it? And chuvas written later had the 2020 hindsight of comparing the reaction of the Crusades in Eastern Europe to the Inquisition. And the numbers are drastically, horrifically different. They lost many Jews who chose to remain. Again, I'm not saying he would have done any better. It was a t- tremendous sign. He built up wealth over many generations. Traveling with Sakanas Nefarshis. Many people didn't even make it to Portugal. The ship sank. It was a, a, a terrible Nisayan. Lamaisa. Many people didn't pass. The Moranos, we uh, always complain, they're writing these wonderful novels, showing them in a positive light. They were better than the ones who outright converted and didn't keep anything, and they tried to keep whatever they can. It didn't last. Sometimes they got after a couple of generations became Bali Chuva. The real heroes are the ones who chose to leave. Most of them didn't make it to their destination. What, and they have Chuvas examining. Why did that happen? Why is it in Eastern Europe the attrition was Kemat Zero? The, the Cossacks came, the Crusades came. They were faced with a choice become a Christian or die, just say you're a Christian, say you're a believer, and they all chose to die. Why did that happen in Spain? That's a very difficult, challenging question, but there were, there were Rishayim from the Tukufa wrote about it, and the Rashba already, they, there was so much integration into the philosophies of the time, that's how the Rambam wrote the Moranavuchim, but the Rashba in Barcelona had to, uh, signed on a cherem, and uh, many leading G'daylim at the time, there was a problem that people were too assimilated, even though they're still Sharma Mitzvahs, and integrated into the uh, philosophies and mores of society at that time, and they realized the danger. And that was before the Inquisition, way before, and that Chachamad of Minavi, that was actualized. And the numbers were, again, they were, they were Heligian, and we should never be facing the Nisayan, and they tried their best. It had the, 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 uh, the contrast that what happened in Eastern Europe is Ayyavanaira. And the simple answer is this is a complicated, complicated topic, but um, without getting into the debate of Lamuna Pshuta versus uh, philosophical Lamuna, Lamaisa, the numbers are that the average Yid wouldn't have a Havamina of going near the Cossack of the Crusader and becoming one with him on a religious. Uh, philosophical front and then just like Mius as opposed to in Spain they the Mius wasn't there because they were more accepted in society and they were perhaps on the surface more in, intelligent and at least more civilized even though it turned out not to be the case um, when the Christians took over hence the Inquisition the same thing happened in Nazi Germany but the fact that they spoke Arabic was a um, almost like a uh, a commentary on what was going on, not a critique of the Ramam, of course, who wrote it in Arabic. He wrote it in Arabic because that's what they were speaking.
question is, why did that happen as opposed to Eastern Europe? And why did that happen as opposed to the areas where they developed Ladino? And not that one should examine. I never investigated when and how and where Ladino was developed. But I agree with you. In certain parts of Spain, they were writing and speaking in Arabic. That wasn't where it was. But it's also clear that there's no reason to invent a language that people were commenting, the grammar with yeshivish today, it's only because they haven't caught up. The Yiddish grammar was horrible also, but then they started organizing, and Maskilim got into it real heavy, both of the grammar and Lashon HaKadosh, which wasn't Lashon HaKadosh to them, but, and Yiddish, and they made, a, they made a language out of it, and it was, it was a science. And their professors, you can still find some professor in some back room in a university, every university, who specialized in this stuff. English and yeshivish is only around 30, 40 years, because that's an American, English-speaking, American-born yeshiva bacher language, if, and they already made a dictionary, if we would uh, continue just you know, talking like this, uh, they'd, they'd start chairing professors in various universities, to, and there already have been lengthy, lengthy doctoral theses written on this. Some of them I read, quite fascinating. Like they're getting into the uh, alumnus of the... And they admit, they said, not only is this a, a, a new hybrid, but it's very sophisticated because we depend heavily on very legal, technical terms all of which are borrowed from Sugis and Bab Metzi and Bab Basra. And they're fascinated by it. The people from the outside are looking at it. It's incredible. You know what a scholar you have to be to understand the Ramazim in every, uh, every phrase you use. It's like every, every phrase is like another Sugya. You've got to like, uh, you, know, uh, you know, somebody grabs something and says, whoa, whoa, what are you trying to reenact Tuck for Kayan? Like, you explain that to somebody, it would, take, it would take 45 minutes to even explain the first expression. So, it is a language of formation, but that is in line with the historical fact that Claesol has done this many times before. That's why I'm, I'm just mentioning in the defense, despite the fact that, that maybe as Chatani and Ani Maskir, to a person who's trained in writing and reading proper English, uh, taking me over and being there and all that rubs me the wrong way, but that doesn't mean that that is the proper reaction. Now, what some of you began asking last night was, uh, which I addressed this first part, is there a need for a, a good or decent education in English writing and reading? What happens if you need to apply to law school or you're in a profession that you need it and then you don't have it? And the, the answer is yes, it could have value if you choose to go in that direction. Often the people who are going to law school or medical school or whatever schooling they, they want will be smart enough if they're going to pass, they plan on passing and succeeding, smart enough to brush up on their English as well. And interestingly enough, I had recently a fellow who had a very poor background, not from a Litvish yeshiva, came out nothing, a very bright guy, and I was doing some career counseling with him and we had a nice Hushkafic discussion. It was a long process. And I told him, I said, you know what, if you want to do this, I'm fine if you ask a lot of shares along the way, but you have to first brush up on your English reading and writing. And he did just that, and for about a year he did only that, and he's pretty, uh, he's pretty good now. So it's, it's something that's doable. It can be a tool that it becomes necessary and can be used, and then many people feel, okay, by Shehu Sham, we'll figure it out, which is part of the greater discussion. Uh, everybody, most people have to make some initiative toward Parnasso, the only question is when. We have a very strong Messiah starting from Chubas and Lachsam Sefer and Mishnayis and Sugis. The argument is not whether to do it or not. The argument is when. Whether to take the best years in a Bacha's life and overly focus on it uh, when he's getting the foundation and learning versus dealing with it 
uh, closer to when it's necessary, which is, again, uh, per our uh, usually yearly discussion on Shavuos night. But that, this is part of the same sugi. The second aspect that Yaakov, you asked me about this last night in a post-share email, um, I think you, you quoted somebody who wrote an article on this and uh, claimed it was a Kiddush Hashem if you speak uh, better English. Let me say this very carefully. Um, I understand why that was said. <coughs> Kiddush Hashem Hashem is a very, very uh, slippery slope and a, a dangerous thing and a difficult thing to define. Uh, the, not, not connecting this with the article you were quoting, but the Reform Jews in this country were very fond when the very religious looking <coughs> started coming in the 30s and 40s and certainly after the war. They were inundated with very, uh, very from Heimish and Yeshiva-looking people. And they, their, their constant refrain was, this is a chil Hashem. The America, and you're going, you look like you're from a third world country, and the, the chil Hashem. They, they, they talked themselves into it, the chil Hashem. And a uh, famous Meister, I think, um, I don't know, uh, maybe it was, maybe it was an awesome Meister to tell over this Meister, where he was accosted by somebody who, he looked very, um, mind you, I think was a professor. Does that right? Thank no. you. What? Yeah, regardless, yes. He was a professor somewhere? Yeah. Yale, Harvard, somewhere there? Oh, John Hobbs. John Hobbs, okay. So he said he was accosted once by somebody in a train who was Jewish and very insecure about it. And he saw him, and he was dressed with his Becker shirt or whatever, and he starts screaming and yelling at him, Achil Hashem, how can you walk around like that? I don't know what year this was, especially in Maryland, but okay. And uh, he said, you know, you got to be in the ball for this, he said uh, after the whole tirade, he said, uh, excuse me, I, I don't understand what you're talking about, I'm Amish. And then the guy's, oh, you're Amish. Oh, it's so beautiful. You have traditions. And it's so nice that you're dressing. And the whole conversation went the other way. And then at the end, when he finished his uh, long uh, reversal, he said, and when I was Jewish, it wasn't good. So that's part of you. You have to be very careful. There's two definitions. We've said this in other shirim of Kirshem and Chilashem. It's a primary definition, a secondary definition. The primary definition, and, and this is important, because the primary definition trumps the secondary definition. When I use that word now, my kids look at me and say, what does he have to do with this? Mm-hmm. It's a real word. Uh, the primary definition, just we might as well learn some English while we're here. Uh, primary definition trumps the secondary definition in any circumstance. And the primary definition is, are you doing Ratzon Hashem or not? The answer to that is found in Shokharach. Or ask your local Dax Rov. That's the primary definition. Now, if you're doing something parv, which really doesn't exist, so you're sitting in a bus and you're staring at the space, you should be learning. Okay, but let's assume, forget the Hasmada for a moment, sitting in a bus, mind you, not doing a mitzvah and Averim, and then you start carrying on, like a lunatic screaming at the top of you and pulling your cell phone, screaming, and there are other passengers on a plane and a bus. So the secondary, the secondary definition is, it doesn't say in Shulchan how long you're supposed to talk to your cell phone and how loud and what the uh, conversation should be like, but you have to be a mensch. And if people look at you and they see the guy with the yarmulke and he's screaming at the top of his lungs or he's driving like a maniac, even though technically he claims that was a turning lane. We discussed that already. So that's the secondary definition. If you have a contradiction between the primary and the secondary, like I'm not speaking a very polished English because I dafka, I'm from Monroe, and we hold the Svasa Medina is Bidievit Shabidievit, or I have a very Shivisha background and we created English for the same reason, and this is the Messiah per Yiddish, per Amisha, per the Divriyatsub, and everybody else, and that's the way I speak. And then a uh, modern fellow, or a Yid, or a guy says, oh, Why can't these people speak English? Is that a Kishem or Chiloshem? The primary definition is, is his not learning English or perfecting his English. Was that Ratzon Hashem? You have to answer that question first. So I didn't even read the Divya yet. Before the Divya Yatsav, Moshe says, 
that Yiddish was developed for this reason. So Hakiyatasa, why in Europe was he speaking Yiddish? Would have been better had all the Frenchmen and all the Germans seen him speak a perfect German. So why is that a Chil Hashem? The answer is he was doing it because he didn't want to. He didn't want the association. And even after Askala, when the Pani Frayidin, there was there was a big debate in Hungary and in Germany. Should the Rabbanim start speaking German? A huge machlekes. In Hungary, they gave very little room to it, and they said you give a finger and take a ham. Others will momeko. In America today, you wouldn't imagine there was such a machlekes. There are troopers galore written on this. In America, the standard is, but that that was after the 1940s and 50s. A rov gets up, even with a strong yeshiva background, and will speak English or some form thereof. That was a big machlekes then. Why did they just say well, it's a chil Hashem? Why you have a fry yid? He's a maskil. Why isn't it? the answer is well, he's a maskil? He chose to be a maskil, and maybe he's a tinishnish. But we have a minig uh, for a reason, and we don't have to change the minig. That's the prime. And there is a contradiction over here. So I, I don't believe it's a chil Hashem. What I will say is it could be a kiddush Hashem if you have a tool already and you do speak the language, and the way to connect with them is to speak a fine English. So he thinks that's his barometer of intelligence. Then it could be used like any other tool as a way to connect a Kiddush Hashem both in writing and in speaking. So that, and maybe that's what he meant, I didn't read the article, but that's fine with me. I have no problem with that. But to say that one of these people speak those same comments you hear when, we shouldn't be saying it either, but when sometimes you overhear people talk about other minorities and like they're trying to get something done, why can't these people speak English? So we say it about other people, we're here already two, three, four generations. If people say it about us and we're not doing it because of lack of intelligence, we're doing it because... Uh, of a shita, you can't say that's wrong. That's the Chiddush over here. But I, I will reiterate, there's nothing, uh, you know, I, I, I'm using words that somebody from a very Yeshiva background, certainly from a Hamish background, wouldn't understand half my words in English. Fine, you understand what I'm saying. You also understand what I'm saying when I throw in Yiddish and Aramaic. If you have somebody who's not going to understand, you're just going to get turned off, so then if you know it, then use it. No, no problem with that. What's not wrong, what's better? What's better is the office, we're not going to understand what you're saying. One of the emails I got today, you should have seen the, um, I almost, you know, it helps me uh, get up after having very little sleep because I know there's like 30 emails waiting for me. It's just interesting. So it helps, uh, helps get up in the morning. One of the emails was, uh, was a fellow who tested it out. And he said, I was listening to your shear in the office and I put it on speaker and there was an akum sitting there. I'm playing it for about 20 minutes. And I turned to him, he wanted to test it out. I turned to him and... Uh, I asked him, do you understand what's going on? He said, I was listening for a while, but there are too many words that throw me off, so I stopped listening. Look, this Akum anyway, he was worried he was teaching the uh, Torah to the Akum, which is, which is Aser. So if you're trying to connect with somebody and you're trying to teach Torah and they don't understand what you're saying and you know English and the English will impress him, whether that should be what's impressing him is a different story. If he's going to judge the intelligence of that and you have it, then certainly use it, like, like any other tool or talent that you have. That is the Chazara on the introduction. Without further ado, let's start the Divayatziv. In your front, uh, page one. Now, I'm in the middle of a tshuva. He has three tshuvas on this. I, uh, as I usually do, uh, I just took a few of the paragraphs, which are, I think, most of the Indian that we need over here. Be'emes mismag. I remind you, the smog is a rishon. He has a minyan mitzvah. And in this minyan mitzvah, the smog say nun, shalalelech, is a quote from the smog. It's quite startling after you've seen the whole sugi and you never heard of this together. As I mentioned, this is not a davashus, it's not pritzus, it's not kishuf. It's tam to have a separation. You have a copy? We have more. Anybody have more copies? Something over here doesn't have one. Might be ensnared in their society and their 
the philosophy. This is the key line. The long and the short of the various Yisurim under Chukasayim is not only because you don't want to get into something else, Shasha Barazar, not only Kishiv, not only Shtus. In general, She Yisrael moved Dolim and Akam a Malbush, but Minig and Bedibur. Again, I'll remind you, Ramesha holds technically the Malbush is not a problem because we're consumers and they're making it for all consumers. And Lushan is before Mantar. So Ramesha doesn't hold the Nisr, but he still holds that it's a Maila. The Smog holds it's the Nisr. And the key word here, Malbush, Minig, Bedibur. So what does Dibur mean? Dibur means language. As he will develop, and what's um, more startling is this isn't only the smog. The Bach in Yeridei brings us down to Loch Lomaisa. The Shach doesn't, uh, but the Bach does. The um, most places don't hold like this, but it made it as far as this Bach and others. Bach Yeridei L'shem teira shalem in the religion, the lesser or preachers, the lesser al ikar shabachol mashem yuchel lahem anything that is goyish. However, you define that tzarech yisrael liyaz nivdom lahem liyaz nivdom and hagam malbush minik ubedibur hachi yisrael lahedja b'sefri and he has a sefri sefri it's not exhibition bach zanachron the sefri is the sefri that's a price and sefri the shaylis do we pass like the sefri but the sefri says. The same thing, and he goes on to quote part of it. Skip down to the third paragraph. He quotes now, where can you go back from the Safri? So now he's going back to a Pasuk in Nechemia. Hanavi Nechemia Perge Gimel. Ha'chashachichem al-shanosu nochriya. Remember, as Nechemia came back after 70 years, and it was a mess. The locals were, uh, they took the Chersh Lamaskeh, they took all the Timur Chamim, they took uh, the, the, bright, the brightest and the best, and they were in bubble for 70 years. They came back, and the unlettered basically were in Yisrael. Without much leadership, Gedaliah and Achikam had been killed earlier on, unfortunately, and they were intermarried. And the Pasuk has two critiques. And the two, if you don't know the smog, don't really go together. The, the, the second one doesn't even belong to the Pasuk. And then he adds, Not do they marry Nachrius, which is intermarriage, extremely serious sister. And not only that, but they don't even know how to speak Loshan Kedish or Aramis or Yiddish or something. Speaking Ashtodis, the local language. Can you imagine putting the two things in the same puzzle? <laughs> Marrying the, uh, the, the Akum in both directions, and they're not even speaking uh, Jewish. That's pretty. Uh, Pretty stark. Like why, like the Yehuda, the like why would you even bring that up? That married uh, Shiksa. Like, obviously, uh, things are completely out of control. The probably not Shemesh Shabbos, and the kashrus in the house probably leaves a lot to be desired. There's nobody in the kitchen, you know. And not only that, but they're not speaking uh, a Jewish language. So there's certainly again, whether you hold this makes it Isra or not, where we're talking uh, at least uh, he, he's leading to the fact that there's a serious issue over here. But even if he holds not technically Usr, uh, you certainly see the Hidra over here. Skip to column two and the third paragraph. Medrash Rabba, Medvarim. This is the famous Medrash we've been quoting. Medvarim shall schusim niglu mitzrayim shall shinu l'shenim. Tantebeliya Rabba reish perichavdala yetsim mitzrayim mitzvah achas ha'isabiyad. That's a very interesting pick of the Tantebeliya. Yetsim mitzrayim, the generation that left. So we already know from the Medrash that they were careful about the Malbush and the Lush and the names. So the way he puts it here, mitzvah achas ha'isabiyadim. They really had one mitzvah, and we just listed four. Why is it called one? So they had one theme which they chopped. If they didn't do this. 
there wouldn't be Klai Yisrael left. And they were right. And that's why they were niggle. He said, we don't have any mitzvahs. We have Zion mitzvahs, nothing more. We're going to have me a second if there's no chilik that's obvious to the naked eye, that as soon as you look at it, there, there's not going to be any left. And as is, they felt about the Shari Tumor. So instead of listening to four, the Tanah Beliel says they had one mitzvah. This one mitzvah, this saved Klai Yisrael at that time, it was very valuable in the eyes of Hashem. Now he's going to list, he says, mitzvah achas, he's going to list a few. They made one group and they wanted to remain as a distinct non-assimilated people, and they knew that to do something to ensure that. The first thing is, God do chesed with our brothers. Fellow Yidin, they slapped each other out of the slime, lime pits, and they, and they helped each other, they brought them food, and they helped the wounded, they had the hatzala, and they, they, were, they took care of each other. Step number one. Lishmar bris mila. That's an interesting one because that didn't actually happy, happen throughout the entire 210 years. We know that because Yeshua Benun had to give everybody a bris before the first garden Pesach, but they tried to the extent they could. Shalom Ani Eloshon Beis Yaakov. And they said, we're not leaving the Jewish language. L'chair Eloshon HaKadosh. Shalom Yechav Yomadu Eloshon Mitzrim. This is something. So why is it called Mitzvah Achaz, first of all? Because they all had one theme, and that is we have to stay independent, apart, and unassimilated, and this is what's going to get us there. T- it's broken down to two. They're not going to forsake the Loshan Beis Yaakov, L'chair Loshan HaKadosh, and Shalom Yechav Yomadu Eloshon Mitzrim and May Tarkev Adazar. I'm not going to learn Egyptian. That was taken care of by the first line. What's the addition? So he's going to discuss it right now, and then I'm going to add something. I'll just read his two lines. Maybe we'll continue tomorrow. What's the difference? In a, in a quick soundbite, and we'll pick up on this tomorrow, there was a same thing Yiddish was trying to address. They were slaves for their masters. They dealt with Egyptians all day. So it's not going to work when the master says... Uh, uh, do we have any tea left in the house? Go check and let me know. You come back and there's no, there's no language that they can connect with on some level. It's, uh, it's going to be like Migdal Bovel. Yeah, yeah, okay, today we're building Ramses. Everybody go, remember what happened in Migdal Bovel? So Hashem switched the languages in one second. And this guy asked for a brick and he got him a hammer and then he got angry and he hit him over the head and then the whole thing fell apart. You can't work like that. And they're going to get themselves killed and stream and get frustrated and they're, and they're slaves and they're under their control. So of course they spoke some Egyptian. They... My conjecture, but I think that's what he's getting at, is they had two nadarim. One is they're not going to forsake Lashon HaKadosh at home. Among themselves, they're going to speak the Mama Lashon. And even when they have to communicate with the Egyptians, we're going to have some adulterated, half-off-kilter language, which is not exactly uh, the professor's language in the University of Cairo, but they're going to understand us enough, and that's fine. Not more than fine, that's where we want it. And that's otherwise why we need two lines. It's pretty clear that's what the Medrash means. Again, does that make it a chiv? Not necessarily. He's claiming it is, but divriyatsiv. But uh, Moshe will say it's not a chiv. It might just be a good idea, which is, again, why we have these languages. Mitzvah Shem will continue tomorrow.